The following podcast is intended for a mature audience. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back to Tale of the Manticore. Like the creature from which it takes its name, Tale of the Manticore is a mashup, a crossbreeding between two different species of storytelling. Here you will find the unpredictability of old school paper and dice games with the storycraft of a dark fantasy novel. No character is sacred and no character will be spared if the dice decide their fate is at hand. The dice determine all. According to lore, the tale of a manticore is barbed with cruel iron spikes. There will be much pain in the days ahead. Last time on Tale of the Manticore. Our episode began with the aftermath of the green slime attack Mun's body was cleaned, but a decision was made to postpone his burial. Umura discovered her old spellbook, mainly intact. Thern and Harl, keeping watch away and down the tunnel, returned with the goblin spy in their custody. It confirmed that they had made enough noise when dealing with the slime attack to alert the other goblins of the cave to their presence. The party debated what to do with the captive, but eventually Umura came up with a resourceful and out-of-the-box, though risky, plan. In a flashback, we learned that Sheriff Marlock had indeed become suspicious of the party, and Eredine in particular. Shortly after the scouting mission departed, he sent a note by Pigeon to Wolf Cliff Keep, asking them to send an investigator or more information. Back at the Goblin Outpost, the party moved through the last parts of the cave system and found a room containing the human and dwarven prisoners, several goblins, the brute Vashuk, and a terrifying direwolf. Earlier, Umura had sent their captive goblin back with gifts for Vashuk, and to announce the presence of the Grey Witch of Zesha, a role she had invented in the hopes of intimidating the goblins. Chapter 14, Part 1, Day 15 Late afternoon. Party status. Captain Tor. 14 of 17 hit points. Eiffelt. 5 of 5 hit points. Riley the Roach. 7 of 7 hit points. Thern. 19 of 19 hit points. Harl. 5 out of 5 hit points. Kagan. 14 out of 16 hit points. Gyrios. 11 out of 14 hit points. Umora, 10 out of 10 hit points. She also has the spell Charm Person memorized. Eridine. Before we find out how negotiations proceed between Vashuk and Umora, we have a quick bit of business to attend to as the last of our four remaining party members is scheduled to gain a level today. We should do this right away, since our characters will need every little advantage they can get in the coming minutes. Firstly, we can double her hit points. She'll go from 4 
to eight. Secondly, because she is a rogue, her various skills improve by a small amount. These skills include opening locks, finding and removing traps, and many others. Eridine has not had the chance to use most of her skills thus far. In part, this is because she lost her set of thieves' tools when she was captured. Since the tools would not seem very valuable or special to someone who didn't know what they were looking at, unlike Gyrios's golden holy symbol, for example, there's a good chance that they have not been sent away to augment the Goblin Chief's hoard, so they are likely still here, in the outpost, somewhere. Lastly, let's get a six-sided die ready and roll to see if Eridine's attributes have improved at all. I wonder, what's the probability of a single stat increase when we have a one in six chance repeated six times? I was never very good at math. If anybody knows, they can email me at taleofthemanticore at gmail.com. The first person who sends me an answer, I'll name a future NPC in your honor. Okay, let's get to these rolls. Strength is first. I've rolled a five. Intelligence is next. Only a four. Wisdom. A six. All those conversations about religion with Gyrios have clearly been rubbing off on our rogue. She goes from a 10 to an 11. Good for you, Aridine. But we aren't done yet. Next up is Constitution. I've rolled a 2. Finally, we've got Charisma. Only a 1. You know, if there's one stat improvement that really makes sense, I think Wisdom is exactly it. Think of the irresponsible life Aridine had been leading with the Highwaymen compared to the life she leads now. Sometimes the dice really know their stuff. Well, our level up is complete. It will be some time before we see another, I think. As for now, we need to talk about our negotiation between the goblin brute Vashuk and Umura, who is trying to sell the fiction that she is a powerful witch. Let's consider what is working for and against her. To her disadvantage, Umura has a charisma score of just seven. Try as she might, she's just not a very convincing actor, nor is she very intimidating. She also has dwarves in her party, and in their plate armor, they appear as guards, not as slaves. Goblins hate dwarves, and having noticed Thern and Harl are not pleased. Lastly, the warg seems hostile and agitated. Nobody knows this, but it can smell goblin blood on the party weapons. Good thing it can't talk, or the jig would be up before it began. On the other hand, Umura has several advantages. One is, she has greater numbers than the goblins, and her party is better armed and armored. That's threatening. She can also speak their language, which certainly augments her disguise as an agent of evil. Furthermore, she knows Vashuk's name, and she knows about the bald wizard with whom the goblins do business. Especially this last bit of knowledge might come across as information she would not otherwise have. Finally, and most importantly, Umura has crafted a fake magic item by having cast her light spell on a stone and cramming it into the base of the immaculate human skull found in the slime room. The effect is impressive. As an added and unexpected bonus, the light from the skull has exposed several goblins previously concealed in the darkness at the edges of the room. Some of them had arrows trained on the party when they first entered. Umura's plan has already been very successful in stripping the goblins of their opportunity to ambush the party. But Umura's gambit has a second phase. She has offered, in addition to the treasure already given him, to augment Vashuk's power with magic in exchange for the two slaves. Of course, it's a bluff, and she intends to cast a very different spell if he lets her. 
With everything considered, I think a reaction roll with a plus one advantage is reasonable. I'll be rolling two die six. Remember that higher is better in this case. I've got a seven. With the bonus, that's an eight. A good roll to be sure, but not high enough. We're going to need another one. Clearly, Vashuk's interest has been piqued. Umura must have said the right thing when she suggested that he could become stronger than the chief. I'll roll again and award an additional plus one. Umura forces herself to look directly into the goblin's glowing red eyes. Decide, goblin, she commands. I've rolled a four. The plus two bonus keeps this from being a disaster, but she has gone too far, and Vashuk is unhappy to be spoken to this way in front of his inferiors. He spits and adjusts his grip on the clay pot in his hand. The direwolf begins to growl louder now. The third and final roll is required. No bonuses, no penalties. The dice will decide how this will play out. The roll. A four. Not good. Not good at all. Fashuk realizes he has been duped. Perhaps he saw a tremor in Umor's hands, or voice, or one of her companions was seen reaching for their weapon. Whatever it was that he saw, Fashuk bellows in rage and lets go of the chain that restrains the direwolf. At the same time, he raises the hand holding the clay pot above his head. He means to throw it at Umura. The party's been waiting for this moment too, and they burst into the cavern. Uh, we were actually, uh, me and my friend here. It points to a cat. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, your friend's with a cat. Yes, he's, he's one of those uh, Dreamlands cats. So uh, he's more than a cat. Yes, and he is very lucky to consider myself his friend. What did he say? He said that I was lucky to consider myself his friend. Oh, okay. I, I do feel that way. Okay. Uh, I don't have too many friends. You really aren't that bright, are you? No. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's me, Adam, the DM over at Microphones and Monsters. You just got done listening to a short clip from our show. Microphones and Monsters is a Cthulhu Mythos 5th edition actual play podcast. We ask you to join us every week, Monday and Friday. You can find us on your favorite podcatcher, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can find all of our links at microphonesandmonsters.com. Entering Combat. At least to begin with, there are four active enemies. The two archers, Vashuk, and the absolutely terrifying Direwolf. The two goblins that threaten the slaves, they each have an AC of six and five hit points, will not be in this fight at first. Their job is to be Vashuk's insurance policy. If the fight goes well for the goblins, he doesn't want to have sacrificed his hostages for no reason. But if the fight starts to go against him, they can be used as bargaining chips. The goblin archers will each get to fire once before melee complicates things. Like the others, they have an AC of 6 and 5 hit points. While Vashuk is alive, their morale is slightly better than usual, an 8 instead of a 7. Vashuk himself has an AC of 6 and 10 hit points. He's armed with a flail, but he'll begin combat by throwing his clay pot at Umura. His morale is an 8. By far the most deadly adversary in the room is the direwolf. This is a 4 plus 1 hit die creature with 23 hit points. 
The rules say it can bite for 2 to 8 points of damage. What makes this creature really dangerous is that its chance to hit is much higher than the other opponents. Round 1. Neither party is surprised, so we begin with initiative. And this first initiative roll is a very important one. Both sides have a nasty surprise prepared for the other. The goblins and warg. A 5. The party. A 2. I've rolled off mic to see who attacks whom, with the sole exception of Vashuk, who has definitely chosen Umura as his target. One of the goblin archers fires at Eiffelt. Eiffelt has an arm class of 4 and the goblin needs a 15 to hit him. An 18! That's a hit! This arrow does 3 points of damage, thudding into the spearman's stomach. Archer number 2 fires at Eridine. She has an AC of 6 and he needs a 13 to hit her. With a 10, the arrow whizzes by to her left and into the tunnel behind her where it clatters against the wall. Now, Vashik will throw his clay pot at Umura. Her armor class is just a 9, and so he only needs a 9 to hit her. He does so handily with a 19. The pot strikes Umura and shatters, covering her in a small green slime from waist to neck. Being small, the slime has 6 hit points. It can still consume her though. Being so small, it will need a full five rounds to do so. 600 pounds of direwolf now smashes into combat, past the wounded Eiffel, and lunging at Tor. It must have determined that Tor was the alpha male of their pack. I've rolled an eight. Tor has gotten his shield up in time, but the force of the blow knocks him backward. Now it's the party's turn. Eridine looses an arrow at one of the goblin archers. Considering her dexterity bonus, she needs a 12 to hit its armor class of 6. She's rolled a 16 and has hit for 3 points of damage. Next up, we have Umura and Gyrios. Umura looks Gyrios in the eyes. They both know what he has to do and he does it without hesitation. He burns the slime for 1 point of damage and Umura burns along with it. Next, Riley the Roach lets an arrow fly. He's aiming at Vashuk, and he'll need a 12 to hit. He's rolled a 3. I guess the terror of that warg charging towards him has made it impossible to aim. Next up is Kagan. He's also attacking Vashuk, and he also needs, considering his strength bonus, a 12 to hit. Swinging, and with a running start, he rolls a 19 and hits 4. Six plus one points of damage, wow, seven points. The axe comes away trailing a spray of Vashuk's blood and the brute staggers. Harl swings his battle axe at the warg. A nine will not do it. Thurn swings his mace. An eight versus 12 is a miss. Tor finds his feet and returns the attack against the warg. Nat 20. For 13 damage! Wow! Tor has plunged his sword into the wolf and found a vital organ. Eiffelt also tries to hit with his spear. A successful hit here could finish this warg off in the very first round. An 8 is a miss. Round 1 is over. Round 2. Initiative. The goblins and the warg. A 1. The party. A four. The party will act first. Eridine pulls back on her bow and fires one more time. 
she's rolled an 18 versus 12. But for only one damage, the resilient little goblin hangs on to life with one hit point remaining. Over to Umura and Gyrios. Gyrios continues to burn the slime off Umura. He does another three points of damage. As before, Umura burns along with it. The slime now has two hit points left and Umura has six. They have four more rounds to burn off the slime completely before she cannot be saved. Riley. Riley no longer has a clear shot at anyone except for the hostage-taking goblins, but he doesn't dare fire at them. He needs to spend this round moving to a new spot so he's able to participate in this fight in the next round. Kagan is facing off against Vashuk. He needs a 12 to hit. A 13. And for three points, that's just enough. The bloody axe returns for the backhand blow, smashing Vashuk in the ribcage, breaking his ribs and puncturing his lungs. The goblin brute is dead before it hits the floor. Harl swings his battle axe at the warg. A six. The wolf, though injured, is fast and heavy. It's all Harl can do to avoid being trampled by it. Thern swings with his mace. He gets a 17. That's a hit. For four points of damage, he's brought his mace down on the creature's rump. The warg yelps in pain. It's hurt very badly now and has just six hit points left. Tor swings again, hoping to finish it off. A 19 is another hit. For three points of damage, this warg yet lives, though its fur is matted with its own blood and its spittle has turned pink from internal bleeding. It now has three hit points left. Eiffel attempts to plunge his spear into the creature. An 18, that is a hit. Three points of damage. Eiffel shoves his spear into the creature's flank and it collapses heavily to the floor with its tongue hanging out and its eyes blank. There are now only two goblin archers and the two insurance policy goblins remaining. They definitely need to roll a morale check at this point and their morale score will drop since their leader is lying dead in front of them. A roll on a two die six greater than seven will fail. They've got a four, they pass. More out of confusion than bravery, the goblins will continue to fight and the archers fire away. Archer number one shoots at Eifold. Eifold is wearing chainmail and shield and has an AC of four. This goblin needs a 15 to hit him. Nat 20. Eiffel takes the goblin arrow in the neck. He makes a gurgling sound, drops his spear, and grabs helplessly at the arrow shaft before falling first to his knees and then slumping over to one side. Archer number two has chosen Tor as his target and lets fly. He's gotten a 13. Tor knocks this arrow to the side with his shield and stares down the goblin that killed Eiffel. You are gonna die. The goblin, who has taken the dwarf hostage, cries, Stop, or I cut off this dwarf hand. Round three. Initiative. The goblins have rolled a three. The party, also a three. All action will happen simultaneously in this round. We need to divide this combat into two smaller battles. Tor, in a rage over Eiffel, will completely ignore the threat from the hostage-taking goblin. He charges the archer. Tor swings. A two. In his rage, he is swinging wildly. Eridine fires too. 
of five. She's unable to get a clean shot with Tor in the way. The first goblin archer fires back. An eight is a miss. The second goblin archer. This one, by the way, is the one that they had sent back with gifts for Vashuk. Fires desperately. An 18. That's a hit. For six points of damage, an arrow plants itself three inches deep into Tor's thigh, and the man stumbles. Over to Gyrios and Umura. Gyrios continues to apply fire, burning Umura for three points of damage. Umura has been saved from the slime, but now she has just three hit points left. Everyone stop! yells Kagan. And they do. For a few moments, the only sounds in the room are the sounds of hard breathing. You drop weapons and go, or I take hand. The goblin's eyes have gone as big as saucers. There's no doubt that it will follow through with its threat. And I kill human, screeches the other. It has a knife held under her chin, point up. Neither prisoner has the strength to resist. They are completely at the goblin's mercy. The two goblin archers snatch the chance to get away from Tor and scrabble backwards. In moments, they have their weapons aimed at the party once again. This is a true standoff. We aren't leaving here without those two, said Gagan. We're taking them with us no matter what. When we do, you can be alive or you can be dead. We don't give a damn. Sheriff, Riley, aim well, said Tor. And they did so. One on each of the hostage-holding goblins. Let them go, or you'll both die right here, said Tor. You go. Plenty goblins return soon. You become slaves, slaves, and meat. I've had enough talk, Tor replied, looking away and raising his hand. Archers, on my signal. I'll have the goblins roll one last morale check, unmodified. A roll over a seven is a failure. The roll. A five. This next initiative check is the most crucial yet, and this resolution will come down to a fraction of a second. Round four. Initiative. The goblins. A two. The party. A four. That was extremely fortunate, but they haven't saved the day just yet. Tor rushes the goblin archers. He's rolled a seven. He misses, but he has closed the distance, and since the goblins only have bows, they will not be able to attack back. Goblin archer one and two also have nowhere to run. They both do the only thing they can do. They throw down their bows and grovel at Tor's feet. Please, no kill. Nice human, good human. No kill. Eridine is aiming at the goblin who has the dwarf hostage. Normally, she would need a 12 to hit a goblin, but with almost total cover, she's got a minus four. A bad roll, let's say a three or less, will mean that she hits the prisoner. There's a lot riding on this one roll. Here we go. An 18. Four. Five points, wow. Like a sharpshooter, Eridine puts an arrow right into this goblin's eye, killing it instantly. Riley's going to try and do the same to the other hostage-taking goblin. He'll have the same penalty to hit and the same chance of hitting the prisoner. His roll? A five. 
He misses, but at least he does not hit the woman. There's one more person that will take action this round. Umora casts Charm Person on the goblin holding the woman hostage. You will need to get a 16 to succeed in its saving throw. The goblin rolls a five. Umora now has it completely under her power. She tells it to drop the knife and let the woman go. Right away, the goblin does as instructed. And this battle is over. In the aftermath of this battle, several things happen all at once. Standing near the cavern entrance, Eredine feels a hand touch her hip. When she turns, she finds Harl looking up at her. The dwarf's eyes are shining. He goes down on one knee before her and says, Lady. His lower lip trembles just slightly, and he briefly looks down at the floor. It only takes a moment for the dwarf to regain his composure, and he lifts his chin facing her. Lady, you, you have my thanks. Eredine doesn't know how to respond. She simply takes Harl's mailed hand in her bare one. On the other side of the cavern, Thern has moved to the captive dwarf. Kagan does likewise for the woman and cuts her bonds. They both offer words of comfort, and shortly after, a little water and food. Umura, sitting on the floor not far from the cavern entrance, is in a lot of pain, but she manages a short conversation with her new goblin friend and confirms that there are no other traps or enemies in the cave system. The goblin is sympathetic to her burns and keeps trying to stroke her hair. It gives up some useful information though when it reveals the location of, and then fetches, a small secret box that had been buried under the dirt pile near the table. The goblin explains that Although Vashuk was under orders to send everything of value back to the main goblin lair, a huge underground complex with hundreds of goblins quite far from here, Vashuk actually kept some of the plunder for himself. All the goblins knew about this, but had to pretend not to. In another part of the room, Tor and Riley are binding the wrists of the two archers using the goblins' own bowstrings. The one who killed Eifolt is not handled gently. Tor will decide what to do with them later. When the goblins are firmly secured and no longer any threat, Riley looks at his captain. He's about to say something, but the words stick in his throat. The captain is wearing a murderous expression that Riley cannot face. Gyrios approaches the captain and, addressing him, more or less expresses what Riley had wanted to say. You have lost two good men, and for this I am sorry. Riley notices that whatever hair had not been burned off the cleric by fire and acid, has, by now, fallen away. The priest is completely bald. If you will permit me, I will perform the last rites for them. It will be about the proper time now. Tor gave him a hard stare, and then simply grunted his assent. Small muscles worked in his jaws as he ground his teeth. After that, Gyrios continued, we can decide what to do with these captives and make camp for the night. We shouldn't leave until morning, I'm sure you'll agree. Tor didn't answer. He looked like he was a million miles away. Captain Tor, prompted Gyrios. Shall we leave tomorrow morning then? Don't call me captain. Just Tor will do. There was an awkward moment of silence, and then the hawk-faced man continued. 
And who said anything about leaving? Thank you for listening to Tale of the Manticore. If you enjoy what you've heard and would like to support the show, please consider leaving a five-star review on iTunes. It helps the show reach a wider audience and lets me know I'm doing a good job. In this episode, I'd like to thank the musicians who make copyright-free music available for content creators like me. Scott Buckley, Evan King, Ben Sound, and Darren Curtis, even though you don't listen to this show, I'd like to thank you sincerely for the use of your amazing music. You can find links to the selections I use on the show in the show notes entries at taleofthementicore.blogspot.com. You can also find links to the music I write and record for the show, which I've made into 25-minute long loops and posted to YouTube. These tracks are free for you to use in your games or published content as you like. I figure I should be giving back, not just taking. The adventure continues in the next chapter of Tale of the Manticore, the story where chaos rolls. Join our adventurers as they discover how strange portals alter Revelheim. Do you hear that, Amsley? Our Lord Paylor blesses us. I didn't realize you worshipped a salesman. Actually, Marion, I'm pretty sure this is a dad. Rolling on Bait is an actual play D&D podcast. D&D? I love death caps and dish rags. Nurtrude, what's a podcast? It is an interdimensional sonic communication feed, Vanilla. Very simple. Nortrude, are you indicating that we're in trouble? <laughs> Bellius, did you hear that? I actually had a good one. Bellius? You can find Rolling on Fate every other Wednesday wherever you download podcasts. You mean podcasts. Taylor! A- anyone! I can't see! I-, I think I'm stuck in one of those podcasts. Rolling on Fate. Come to you where the dice take us.